0: chapter 20, which is one of the most incredible chapters in the entire Bible because it lays out for us one of the most incredible things that will ever happen, in fact, the most incredible thing that will ever happen on this entire planet, and that is when Jesus Christ comes back to the earth, and he sets up his kingdom, and he will begin to rule and reign on the earth, and really for the first time since man sinned in the garden, he is going to receive the glory that he deserves. And as we began to see in Revelation chapter 20, you can look on your your study sheet. We, We began to see that this is the most glorious time for the Lord Jesus Christ since then. This is the period of time when Satan will be a defeated foe. In Revelation chapter 20, in the first several verses, God contracts an angel and he says, listen, I want you to go take that sucker and I want you to bind him up, and then I want you to cast him into the bottomless pit. I want you to shut the door and then just leave the sucker there for a thousand years. That's what he says. And and listen, that's going to be a glorious thing when he is finally shut up because he's got a big mouth. And he's got a whole lot of things going on, but he will be in the millennium a defeated foe. We saw that not only that, But according to Matthew 26 and verse 30, and we could go to any other number of places in the word of God, that during this period of time, this thousand year period that we call the millennium, Jesus will reign on earth in his manifest presence in the fullness of his glory. Jesus will reign on the earth in his manifest presence in the fullness of his glory. In other words, Jesus Christ is literally going to be on this planet, on a literal throne, in literal Jerusalem, the throne of David, just as it was prophesied, and he will rule and reign this earth in power and glory. And this will be the time that all the believers have been praying about in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. This will be the time when Jesus' will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, This is the time, according to Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14, that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And that means it is going to be an incredible time, y'all. It is a period of time that I wish would happen today. Now, we know we're at least seven years from it. If the rapture took place, there's seven years of tribulation before the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to set up that kingdom. But listen... The whole goal of the millennium is the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what God's interested in. But what we've been talking about is that God's desire for the millennium is really no different than His desire right now in the church age. You know what His desire is for the Lord Jesus Christ? That He get the glory that He deserve. You see, we sometimes forget that. We we think that that's something that's going to take place in the future, but we miss what God is wanting to show us right now. And listen, lest any of us be confused, Satan is a defeated foe right now. According to Acts chapter 26 and verse 18, you know what happened when the gospel came to you? You were turned from the power of Satan... To the power of God. You know what? I would call that a a defeated foe. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it talks about how through the word of God abiding in us, we overcome the wicked one. I'd say that's a defeated foe. And listen, right now, what God wants to do is he wants to defeat the enemy in your life. And he wants to receive glory right now by you living in that victory that he granted to you through his death, burial, and resurrection. Not only that, Jesus desires right now to reign in me in his manifest presence in the fullness of his glory. Right now, he desires to reign in me in his manifest presence in the fullness of his glory. Now listen, he is literally going to be on this planet, on the earth, in His manifest presence, ruling and reigning in the fullness of His glory, but it's no different than what the Lord Jesus Christ wants to do right now. The only difference is, it's not a literal throne in Jerusalem, it's the throne of your heart. And He wants to rule and reign in His manifest presence, in the fullness of His glory, inside of you. This is also a period of time that Jesus desires that His will be done In me as it is in heaven. It's not that way all over the earth right now, but if He rules and reigns in your heart, what He wants out of your life is He wants to carry out His will in you right now. It's really no different than the millennium. And then the last thing there under the introduction. Jesus desires that we be filled individually now with the knowledge of His glory. And this is what Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 3, that I may know him, listen to it, and in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto death. What he wants to do is just like he's going to do all over the earth in the millennium. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, and what he wants to do in you right now as He rules and reigns in you, as you live a life of victory, as you live a life where you are carrying out His will on the earth, what He wants to do is He wants to fill us with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. He really wants us to know not just about Him, because, you know what, we've done a pretty good job of that. We could, man, we could go on and on and on and on and on and on about all of the pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. We can show the fulfillment in the New. We can go through all of the things about the deity of Christ. We could prove that to some false teacher who comes to our door. We know a whole lot about Him. But where are the people that really know Him? Where are the people that really have the manifest presence of Jesus Christ in the fullness of His glory? in their life. Where are the people that actually carry out His will on on this earth as it is in heaven? Where are the people who actually live in this victory that God says He gave us as He turned us from the power of Satan to His mighty power? And because this is the way that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to be glorified right now, We've just kind of carved out a little area, and we've been asking that what God would do in this church is He would allow us to be able to put His glory back in its proper place, and not just in this church. I mean, if it's going to happen in this church, it's going to happen because you and I come to the place to where His glory is put back in our lives in the place that God wants it. And I want to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And let's just talk a little bit about what we saw last week. We're calling this, on your outline, the picture of the exodus. The picture of the exodus. Okay, And, and, and we'll do this real quick. You remember that God's people were in bondage in Egypt. They were under the domination of a wicked ruler who was dominating the entire earth at that time as the world power, Egypt. His name was Pharaoh. And day after day, in the hot sun in Egypt, God's people were in bondage to Pharaoh and to Egypt, carrying out their will for their lives. And God delivered them. There was an exodus. God brought them out through the blood of the Passover lamb. And what we saw is really that was just a picture. More ground is given to that story that I just talked about than any other story in the entire Bible because it's not just a portion of Israel's history. It is a portrait of the Christian life. You see, it's foreshadowing a much greater exodus, a much greater bringing out, because all of us were in bondage to our sin, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. The God of this world is Satan. We were in his clutches, according to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26. He held us in a snare, in in, captive at his will in the same way that Pharaoh did and through the Passover lamb. John was on the scene. He looked up one day and he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The Passover Lamb came to this planet in the person of Jesus Christ and through His shed blood we have been brought out of that bondage that we were in to this world and to sin and to Satan. And you see, that that whole deal, that whole thing that was going on back in Israel's history was really just foreshadowing. What God was going to do in our lives, and in First Corinthians chapter 10, what God does is he's recounting for us what actually took place in that Exodus. in the first four verses. He, he talks about how that God guided them. He, he talks about how God delivered them. He, he talks about how God's power was manifest and how God provided for them, and though they had experienced all of that, just like us. Because we have been guided by the Spirit of God to trust the saving power of Jesus Christ. We have become those who have been the recipients of His provision. And yet, watch where it left the children of Israel in verse 5. It says, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And the thing that is so key in this passage is in verse 6 and verse 11, what God says to us is, listen, The reason that I'm telling you this is not just so that I can bore you with Israel's history. He says, the reason I'm telling you this is so that the same thing that happened to them doesn't happen to you. And we talked last week that though... Believers all over this planet could tell you about God's guidance in bringing them to the place of salvation where they were delivered out of the bondage of Egypt. And they could tell you about the provision of of the water of the Word of God and and the, the bread of the Word of God. They could tell you all about that. The only problem is, most believers are just like the children of Israel. And rather than going into the land of Canaan that God promised to them, they wander in the wilderness and spend their life just going around in circles and never really getting into the fullness of all that God designed for them. And, and we we saw you can look on your on your outline the the point of the Exodus, the point of the Exodus, and, and turn just to to one of these so that we can all remember what was actually going on in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. In verse 23, God tells us what this Exodus thing was really all about. Deuteronomy 6. Look at verse 23. And he brought us out from thence, that is Egypt, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swear unto our fathers. And you can trace that thing through the Old Testament. God is saying, now listen, guys. The reason that I brought you out of that bondage is not just so you could have the weight and the yoke and the burden and the enslavement that Satan was using to hold you captive at his will. That Yes, I wanted to deliver you from that, but that was not the purpose. I brought you out of Egypt, God says, so that I could bring you in to Canaan. And this is what most believers on this planet miss. They think that what this salvation thing was all about is, oh, glory, hallelujah. My sins have been forgiven. Now I'm going to heaven. Isn't that wonderful? And oh, my goodness, I can't think of anything that is more wonderful than that. But God says, listen, all of that was just so you could come over here into the land of Canaan. And the fact is, folks, I don't care who you are. I don't care what's going on in your world. If the only thing that you can say in your testimony is that, yes, praise the Lord, 27 years ago, God brought me out of my sin. If that's all you can say, you have missed what this Christian life is all about. Because the reason that He brought you out is so that He could bring you in to the fullness of all That Christ intended when He died on the cross, and it wasn't just to deliver you from your sin. There's so much more that He has for all of us. And somewhere, somehow along the way, we've got to come to the place to where we realize it. We use the illustration of marriage. There's two principles in marriage. There is leaving your father and mother so that you can, what? Cleave to your spouse. But if all you did was leave your father and mother, listen, that's not what the essence of marriage is all about. The essence of marriage, what that thing is all about is you cleaving to this person. And the only reason that you leave is for the purpose of cleaving. But if you never cleave, you know what? You never really tap into what marriage is all about. And that is the most simple thing in all the world to understand, right? And that's why God says to us, I've espoused you to one husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see the deal is, we left Egypt so that we could cleave to the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, the the thing that I wish we could all as a church and all as individuals who comprise this church, the thing that I wish we could really understand is that until we come into the land of Canaan, just like the children of Israel, we will never, ever, ever be... Do you remember the word? Satisfied. You know what? The children of Israel came out of Egypt and they started on this journey that God said... Should have taken them, how many days, y'all? 11 days. Do you remember how far it actually was? Just a little less than 300 miles. How far did they actually, if you took the average, how far did they actually go in a day's time? 36 yards. In a week's time, two and a half football fields, 250 yards a week. Because it took them how many years to actually get there? There. And this is all laid out for us in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. The 11-day journey from Horeb, where Moses had the burning bush experience in Egypt, to Kadesh Barnea, which is at the southern tip of Canaan, where they were to enter into the land. God said it's an 11-day journey. And he says, 40 years later, in 40 years, these people... Wandered and wandered and wandered, going around in circles in this desert, barren land. And to sustain them, God gave them a certain substance. What was it, y'all? It was manna. And he says in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 21 the way that I sustained you was with the manna. But that's all that the manna ever did. It sustained them. He, he says, in Deuteronomy chapter eight and verse four, "I fed you with manna, and yet I allowed you to hunger this food that he was feeding them. It was something that would sustain them. It would keep them alive. And yet in eating it, all it did was make them hungry. It would keep them alive but it would never quite satisfy because, you see, God never wanted them satisfied in the wilderness because the whole point of bringing them out wasn't so they could just come out and spend the rest of their life just walking around in circles. He just wanted to sustain them on this journey because over here in the land of Canaan, it's a land that flows with what? With milk and honey. This, for us... Represents the fullness of life in Christ. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Unless we are willing to go all the way with Christ. What's going to happen? Is we're going to spend our life never satisfied. Though though we're going to go to heaven when we croak. We'll live our life and never really know the fullness of what this thing ought to be. And according to 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 and 11, what's going to happen to us is the same thing that happened to the children of Israel in that wilderness. They were disappointed, disillusioned, disenchanted, And by the time it was all said and done, they were defeated. They were overthrown in the wilderness. And the thing that I'm trying to make sure that we all see here, y'all, is that unless you're willing to go the full distance, you're not just going to float through your Christian walk and just, you know, have this happy, wonderful existence and know the the fullness of what life is all about, there will come a day when you'll become embittered. Because that's what happened to the children of Israel out in the wilderness. They were moaning and murmuring and complaining about this lousy manna. And the manna was, according to John chapter 6, a picture of of Christ and yeah it it still takes place today just like it did back in Israel's history people who are unwilling to fulfill their purpose in coming out of Egypt live disappointed frustrated barren lives and man this the lord jesus christ is, is it's it's too deserving of more than for us in this church to have come to the place to where he has graciously taught us all of the things that he's taught us and us not go the full distance. And let me show you the next thing, the promise of the exodus. And I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. And you know what? That park wore y'all out. For those of you that guess, we we had a concert in the park last night, and I think we kept all these old folks out too late, man. They are dead as a door now. Okay, let's, let's shake it up just a little bit. Here we go. We're looking at now the, the promise of the Exodus, the promise of this thing. Look in Numbers 13, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan. Now now watch this phrase very, very carefully. Which I give unto the children of Israel. Now what you need to understand is that this is two years into this 11 day journey. And after two years, God says, "Now, now listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get some men together and I want them to go look at this land that I give to you. Present tense. Not the land I will give you, but the land I give you. Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel, of every tribe of their fathers. Shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them? And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent uh, them from the wilderness of Paran. And and those men were heads of the children of Israel. And these were their names. And he begins to list their names. And I'd read them to you if I could pronounce them, but I can't. But no, verse 6, the the only ones you really need to know about is Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. And verse 8, of the tribe of Ephraim, Oshia, the son of Nun. And who is Oshia, y'all? Joshua, the son of none okay so there's there's 12 men that god says take one from each of the tribes and i want them to go in and i want them to spy out the land that i have given i have given you the land of canaan and now what i want you to do is i want you to go and spy out this land and you know what is you know what's real interesting y'all In the book of Exodus and in the book of Deuteronomy, 78 times God declares, I've given you the land. I've given you the land. 78 times. In the book of Joshua, 22 times he says, I've given you this land. I've given you this land. 78 and 22 is how many? Mm-hmm. Y'all make me nervous, man. We ain't doing that park thing anymore. Y'all got on a drunk or something, man. 78 and 22 is how much? A hundred times God has said, listen, I've given you the land of Canaan. I've given you this land. Okay, now, drop down to verse 17. And Moses sent them, the, these 12 men to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land, what it is and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak. Few or many, or what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and and what the land is, whether it is be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, and and be ye of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first grapes. Okay, so God says, now listen, what I want you to do is I want you to go check out this land, and I want you to just kind of see what this land is all about, see how they live see see what kind of crops they have look at the land understand what's going on and you've got to understand what God is, is doing here. Is He is showing us a principle that is going to be fulfilled all the way through the Bible and that is that God never leads us beyond our willingness to go God never leads us beyond our willingness to go He says I have given you the land of Canaan it is the promised land. Now, I want you to go look at it. And you see, all he wants to do is bring them to the place to where they believe what he said. And they'll just go in and they will possess the land that God has already said that he would give them. But he wants to make sure that they're really willing to go to do this thing. So pick up in verse 21. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob, as men uh, come to Hamath, and they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron, where uh, Ahiman and Shishai and Talmai, the children of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt, and they came unto the brook of Eskel and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bare it between Uh, Two, upon a staff, and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. Okay, okay, check out what what he's talking about here. God told him? go go check out the fruit. They go into this land, and with one cluster of grapes, you know, you and I, you know, we go to Bueller's, and we take a little cluster and put it in a bag and go on. In the land of Canaan, the cluster of grapes is so incredible, they got to hang it on a big old pole, and two guys are carrying... The grapes that are growing in this thing. Can you imagine? I mean, just incredible. I mean, you know what they're beginning to see? Ooh, this land is quite a land here, man. This is, this is incredible. Uh, verse 24. The place was called the... Uh, okay, we already did that. Verse 25. And they returned from searching uh, of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron, to all the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh, and brought back word unto them, and unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. Hey, look at this, guys. Can you believe this? And they told them and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely, you know what? It's just like God said, man. This place flows with milk and honey, and would you look at the fruit of this place, man? This is incredible. But would you look at the next word. After all of that, it's just like God said, man. And look at the fruit. It's milk and honey. It's all there, just like God said. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Anybody know what the children of Anak are? They're giants. They've got men that are as big as the grapes, man. <laughs> the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the, the Hittites, man, and the Jebusites and the Amorites, You're a proud group of people. You're all right. I'm all right. You know, dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. They're going, listen, man, we checked out the land. It's just like God said. But oh, my goodness, if you just saw the people, if you saw how they live in the walls of that city. Oh, my goodness, man, we are in some major trouble with this whole deal. Verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we're able to overcome it. Hey, yeah, man, you know what? Yeah, the place is flowing with milk and honey, and yeah, you know what? The people are just like they just described. So let's go in and take it. And you see, what Caleb was doing was he was not looking at The people, he was looking at God, and based on the sufficiency of God, because he had promised this land to them, he said, let's just go in and get this thing, while all the other people are all freaked out. Look at uh, verse 31 but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight, man, we were just like little stinking grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Oh, Oh my goodness, man, these guys are crazy. And, and then drop down to chapter fourteen. Look at verse six. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephana, which were with them that searched the land, rent their clothes. I mean, they are freaked out about this report. And they speak unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us a land which floweth. With milk and honey only, rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Man, we'll eat their lunch. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Hey, come on, guys, what are you thinking, man? Don't you remember what God said to us? Why are we freaked out about these people when God has already promised us this land? This is, this is craziness for us to think like this. And again, God has promised this land to these people. He says, it's as good as yours. I have given you the land. Now, all I wanted you to do is I just wanted to see if you're really willing to go there. But understand, the land's already yours. And the people look at it and say, I don't think we can make it. Do you understand what we are up against in all of that? And listen, I told you, this is two years into this journey. For 38 more years, guys. After God told them a hundred times, I've given you the land. 38 years (laughs) they lived in fear of the people of those lands and you know what is just so cool you got to see this over in in Joshua Joshua Chapter 2. Moses is, of course, dead at, at this point. And Joshua is leading the children of Israel. And he sends out spies once again. Okay, now listen this is long after. Joshua himself went as one of the spies, okay? And now they're coming into the land of Canaan. And he's going to send out some spies into the land, into the city of Jericho. And a lot of you are familiar with this, this story. They come to a harlot's house, a prostitute, whose house is on the wall of the city of Jericho. And these two spies come into her house because they were going to be able to get a, a fast escape from the walls there. And so they, they come into to Rahab the, the harlot's house, uh, verse four. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said, "Thus, there came." Uh, let's let's drop down just a, a little bit uh, further here. Uh, v- verse eight. And before they were laid down, she came up unto the uh, unto them upon the roof. Okay, here's the deal. They, they come into her house, and they go to uh, up, up to the, the, the top of the house to, to go to sleep. And before they go to sleep, Rahab comes up there to talk with them. Verse 9, and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Do you see what she said? I know that the Lord is not going to give you the land. I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Past tense. And that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt. you know how long ago that was? Forty years. All of the people of Jericho are going, Oh my goodness. Do you guys understand something? The Lord has given them our land. And they came up out of Egypt. And it's sooner or later. Man, I can't believe it's not been already. It's been 40 years. But I know they're coming. Because God has given them this land. And he says, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites, now that wasn't 40 years ago, that was just several weeks prior. And so you know what? They were keeping track of this nomadic people that's out there in this wilderness and they're just knowing, sooner or later, buddy, they're coming in and when they do, oh my goodness, weird dust. Are you getting this? The people that the children of Israel are all freaked out about for 40 years are all freaked out about them. The craziest thing in all the world, man. And and as soon as we heard, verse 11, these things, Our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God... He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Check this out, man. The enemies of God's people believed what God said. God's people didn't believe it. It's... You know what it's just like? James chapter 2 says, the demons, what? Believe and tremble. They're freaked out about the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, our God. They are literally freaked out about it. And they know that He is given to us the fullness of Christ. He's given us this life in Christ and they know it and they're freaked out about it and they believe it. The only problem is, we don't. We Somehow it is that we think that we are destined to live this sorry, no good, lousy, barren life out here in the wilderness going, Boy, I just can't figure this this thing out, where this manifest power of Christ is, I don't know how in the world we'll ever get there because, man, we've got this enemy and, you know, he's just pounding us all along the way and he's going to make it real tough. And while we're all freaked out about the enemy, the enemy's all freaked out about the God that lives in us. And somewhere along the way, guys, we've got to remember, he's already promised us the life Of the fullness of Christ. It was a part of our salvation. It's ours. Now all we've got to do. Is simply possess. What he's given. He's never going to. Lead you. Past your willingness. To go. And when you believe him. And you just take him. For his word. He will take you into that land. He will take me into that land. But guys, listen. We've got to come to the place to where we actually believe the promise of God. He brought us out of Egypt not not for the life that most of us have been living year after year after year after a year. You remember what we saw last week from the book of Numbers? The children of Israel took that manna that God was using to sustain them. And the Bible says that they ground it and they beat it and they sifted it and they made hamburger patties out of it. I mean, they did everything under the world, man. They roasted it. They baked it. They fried it. They did everything in the world to try to make this thing not so boring and not so dry. And it's exactly what we're doing. We just keep trying to find something else to make this Christian life just a little more palatable, a little more exciting. And you know what? Just like the children of Israel, we can't do it. Because the only way you'll ever be satisfied is to get off of manna. Joshua chapter 5, you know what happened? They came into the land of Canaan and they crossed the Jordan River, they celebrated the Passover, and you know what happened? No more manna. You know why? They were in the land that flowed with milk and honey. And it's like God is saying this. Okay, listen. Here's the promise. I have already done everything that is necessary to bring you into the promised land. I've given you that. Now all you've got to do is just take it. Just walk into that land. Just believe. Don't make it hard. Don't, don't worry about the enemies. Walk into the land. Believe God. Let Him take you into that land. And let's look next at the purpose of the wilderness. Okay, now we've looked at the point of the Exodus and the promise of the Exodus. And now we're looking at the purpose of of the wilderness, okay? The purpose of the wilderness. Now, get this in your mind, okay? Egypt is over here, and the land of Canaan is over here. Children of Israel were in bondage. God parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry land, and it closes behind them, okay? And now they are in this wilderness, It's an 11-day journey. And God has them go through the wilderness. Now listen. After you've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and your sins have been forgiven, there is a period of time that God has you in a wilderness. And there is a very distinct purpose for the wilderness. God is wanting to see If you're really willing to go all the way with him and he's not going to lead you past your willingness to go, you know why we spend so much time going around in circles, y'all, we're not willing to go all the way with him. But in this wilderness that He puts all of us into, that is not designed to go on for years and years and years, there's some things that God is wanting to accomplish in us. Look at your sheet. The Exodus is where God brings me out of Egypt. The wilderness is where God brings, do you already know, Egypt out of me. The Exodus is where God brings me out of Egypt the wilderness is where God brings Egypt out of me now listen in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 okay th- this is this is what God is talking about he says and you who were dead in trespasses and sins has he quickened he made us alive we were dead in our sins back here in Egypt and then he begins to talk about the manner of life that we used to have he says among whom we all also had our conversation in times past we he, what he says is we walked according to the course of this world that world system of egypt of uh, 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 world system of evil that egypt was just a picture of and he says that we walk not only according to the course of this world but according to the prince of the power of the prince of the power of the air and who is that it 's Satan, the God of this world, and what he says is this: Listen, I delivered you out of Egypt, and you were in bondage according to the Prince of the power of the Air, and he had you stuck in that world 's system and you see what his goal was in having us in that world system, second Timothy chapter two and verse twenty six what his goal was to hold Every single one of us captive in that world system. That was his snare. And what it says in Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26 is he held every one of us there captive at his own will. And so here we were in this world system of evil over which Satan is the head. And he's holding us in his snare in that thing. And what he really wants to do while he has us in that system is he wants to First of all, get us in the world. But what he really wants to do is get the world in us so that we think like it, so that we love it, so that it's a part of the fabric of who we are. And God rescues us out of his clutches. But you see, there is a period of time. And you see, this is why we are so big on discipleship in this church. After you have come to Christ... Yes, it's wonderful that you've been brought out of Egypt and now what God wants to do is bring Egypt out of you and that's really what the whole process of discipleship is about is you come into the place to where you have renewed your mind so that you're no longer engulfed in this world system. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And let's pick up in verse 14. He says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial or Satan, and what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, for ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Watch what he says now. Wherefore, come out... From among them, and be ye... What's the next word? Separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and it will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. God says, listen... You were part of that world system and now you're no longer a part of it. I've got you in this wilderness right now so that you understand that there is no fellowship that you have with all of the, the Egypt and that way of thinking and that way of life that you used to have before. He says, I want you to come out and be separate. Look at four things that God says concerning the world. He says that he wants us to no longer love it In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And what God wants to do in this wilderness period of time is he wants to bring us to the place that we no longer love this world system. We understand what that world system was. That system is what almost sent every single one of us to a godless, Christless, eternal hell. And what he wants to do in bringing us out of that before we actually enter into the land of Canaan is he wants to bring us to the place to where we no longer love that system. Number two, he wants to bring us to the place in this wilderness now where we no longer live for it. We no longer live for this world system. He says, listen, in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth in this world system where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor dust Uh, doth corrupt and arrest doth corrupt and thieves don't break through and steal he comes along in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 and he says listen now that you've been risen with Christ now that you've come out of Egypt seek the things which are above set your affection on things above not on things of the world and what he wants to do in this wilderness y'all before you can ever live in the land of Canaan and you see this is going to be the thing this is going to be the thing that's going to keep us out. It's still living for all of the trash in this world system that we used to live for. What we wear, what we drive, where we live. And you see, as long as we're caught up in that, just mark it down. Year after year after year, just walking around because the wilderness is the place where we learn to no longer love that world system. We learn to no longer live for it. Number three, we learn to no longer think like it. He says in Romans chapter 12 in verse 2, And be not conformed to this what world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen when we were trapped in that world system back in Egypt, that system was in us. And we thought, when we thought, we thought according to that world system. He brought us out and there is a period of time where our minds must be renewed so that we no longer think like the world. But listen, we are kidding ourselves. Thinking we're going to take possession of the land of Canaan while we're still thinking like the world. So, we're no longer to love it. We're no longer to live for it. We're no longer to think like it. And then the next one. We're no longer to be friends with it. You see, listen. When you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and I've already mentioned this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 2, what he says is, I've espoused you... To one husband, you married the Lord Jesus Christ the day that you got saved, and now He says, "I don't even want you to be friends with that world system of evil that almost sent you to hell." It'd be kind of like this. It'd be kind of like, ladies, you you marry this this guy, you marry your husband. And you notice that every time he's with this one girl, he acts different around her. And if you didn't know better, you'd think he was flirting. And so, you know, after you guys had been there, you know, you come back to the house and say, "Uh, so what's up with the flirting, man? You want her? Yeah, you know, you want her more than me? I mean, is that the deal? And he says, oh, no. Honey, no, we're just We're just friends. Mm-hmm. And that'll work for you. Oh, okay. Well that's all good. Okay, no, no problem. No. You're not gonna go for that. And you know what? God doesn't either. Once you come out of Egypt, he says, Don't you know? That friendship with the world is enmity with me? Don't you understand that? And you know how he starts the verse? You adulterers and adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship with that world system is enmity with me? I don't want you even flirting with that world system anymore. And listen, if we still love the world, if we still live like it, if we still think according to it and if we still like to flirt with it every once in a while just, just understand you're going in circles in your Christian life and the end result of this, unless something intersects that, that pattern you will die having never entered into the fullness of what your salvation was intended to be. And you know what I've tried to do in this little section? Just make it real practical for us. Listen, we're, we're kidding ourselves in thinking we can still be a part of this world system and live in that land. You can't do it. what this wilderness, what this 11-day journey is designed to be in our Christian walk, is the place where we are separated from this world system. How is it in your notes? In the wilderness, God wants to bring me to the place of separation. He wants to bring me to the place of separation. As we just saw here in Second Corinthians chapter 6, He says in verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them that whole world system and everything that goes with it, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, because you'll never enter into the fullness of the land of Canaan, the land that flows with milk and honey, the land where God intended we be satisfied. As long as we're connected to this world system and the next, I can't take possession of Canaan as long as the world... Has possession of me. And, and so, okay, now, now look up here at me for just a sec. Now we've all very dutifully got all our little blankies filled in in that little section. Okay, what's next? Just clear off a little space right now just think through everything that we've been talking about with the children of Israel and understand right now before we get off this point we're all making some major choices about our Christian walk about our Christian life if you want to stay in the wilderness don't let God intersect that line today as God confronts you with this world system just wait for the next point and fill out our sheet, so we can all go home. Or we can listen to all of this today and go, oh God, last week I came to the place in my life where I said, I'm going to let you take me into that land. And now God is saying, really? Now, understand, I'll never lead you past your willingness to go. And if you're not willing to cut the cord with the world system, whatever, I mean, it's already yours, but you'll never possess it as long as that world is still possessing you. Okay, then look next, the exodus is not only where God brings me out of Egypt and the wilderness is not only where God brings Egypt out of me, next, the exodus Is where God delivers me from the enemy without. The wilderness is where God delivers me from the enemy where? Within. The enemy, what I like to call the enemy, in a me. I N A M E. The enemy, in a me. Okay, now listen. Just like Pharaoh held the children of Israel in bondage, Satan held us according to his power. And what he says in Acts chapter 26 and verse 18 is he he broke you loose from Satan's power. Man, that's the enemy without. You make a choice every single day about whose power you're going to be under. In Romans chapter 6, what it says is, listen, you have been freed from the bondage of your sin. It no longer has dominion over you. You've been released from that and you've been made alive unto God. Okay? That is the Exodus. Okay? Now that we've been released from that enemy, the enemy that is inside of us is still there. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 2, what it says about these last days, we've talked about it so much. It says that in the last days, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. And listen, what God wants to do in this wilderness, now that He has released us from the power of the enemy without, is He wants... To allow us to live in the victory within. And if you're going to ever do that, you've got to learn that you no longer live for me. You no longer live for me. Now listen, when we were in this world system, and I don't care who you are, I don't care how humble you acted before you came to Christ. The Bible says... You loved yourself. You didn't like yourself a lot. You didn't have a strong affection for yourself. You didn't just flirt with yourself. You loved yourself. Life was all about you. Everything that you did was all about you. And we were released from the bondage of our sin. And yet, you know what happens? That thinking was so ingrained in us that we still think In terms of me, my, mine. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. He says in verse 1, If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Okay, this is all about, now that you've come out of Egypt, okay, here's how to live your life. And look at what he says in verse 8. But now ye also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Verse 9, lying. Listen, you know what that whole progression is all about? It's what flows out of a person who is in love with themselves. Because you see, when I love myself, and I'm thinking about me in whatever situation of life I'm in, when you frustrate me, when you frustrate my purposes... I get angry because it's all about me. And if that really doesn't do it, then my anger is going to be escalated to the point to where it's wrath. And then if you still don't get the picture of who is the cheese around here, then it's going to move into malice. And then, oh my goodness, if you haven't gotten the picture yet, you wait till you hear the things that come out of my mouth about you. Because I am the top dog. And listen, when we live in our homes and we are that's the way that our demeanor is, if this is a description of you, you know what? You love yourself. And you'll be able to recognize at any time somebody frustrates you because you are the king on the throne. And everybody ought to do what pleases you. Because, you know, it is all about you. And he says, Listen, now that you've been saved, put off all that stuff. It's another way of saying stop putting yourself at the forefront of everything. Dethrone yourself and allow the Lord Jesus Christ to sit on the throne of your life. In Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15, you know what it says? It says that the reason that Christ died. Here it is. You want to know why Christ died? So that we could stop living for our... Ourself. And do you understand? When we have been delivered out of the bondage of Egypt and we have received the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and then we continue to live for ourself, do you realize we are frustrating the very purpose of what this exodus was all about because it was to free us from that. This wilderness is so that we can begin to get that self and all of that love of self out of us. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he says, Come on, guys, don't you get it? Your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit and you are no longer your You're no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. And you go over to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 and he says, listen, the way that He bought you, the way that He redeemed you off of the slave block of your sin. Because all of us were there. We were on the slave block of this thing and we were redeemed. God bought us. And He says the way way that He bought you was not with silver and gold. In verse 19, He says the way that you were bought off of the slave block of sin, self, and Satan was through the blood of Jesus Christ. He bought you with the most precious commodity that has ever been on this planet. He says, listen, The reason that he shed his blood and redeemed you was so that you no longer had to live the vain conversation that you received by tradition from your fathers. You know what he's saying? So that you didn't have to continue to live your life for self. He shed his blood to redeem you out of Egypt. But listen, as long as self is still on the throne, you'll never get into the land of Canaan because what the wilderness is all about it's that place where we no longer love ourselves something else it's the place where we learn that we no longer live to please ourselves i no longer live to please me in second timothy Chapter 3, in verse 4, talking about these perilous last days, what he says is that men shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of what? More than lovers of God. Are you still in Colossians chapter 3? Okay, look at verse 5. Okay, now remember the context. It's if you've been risen with Christ, in other words, if you've been delivered out of the bondage of Egypt if you've been raised from the the death grip of Satan that that held you, verse 5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. What he says is in these last days, men shall be lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. And you know what he does there in verse five? Is he gives you a whole list of the pleasures that in this Laodicean church period we like to hold on to. And he says they have no part. This is this the, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience because of these things. But listen, for you to be a believer in Jesus Christ and be holding on to the pleasures of fornication and uncleanness and inordinate affection, and now he's moving into the arena of all of what's going on on in the inside of you, even if you never commit the act of fornication. He brings it down to covetousness, he says, which is idolatry and covetousness is the sin of wanting more it's wanting more than God has allowed you or permitted you through the pages of scripture to be a part of and when you live your life in covetousness he says it is idolatry and guys listen I think it's a no brainer you cannot live like the children of Israel lived in idolatry and ever possess the land of Canaan And yet, many believers, it's all about the pleasures of this world. We love pleasure more than we love God. And we miss what Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 says. It says that He created us for His pleasure. And you see, if you know God, what this wilderness thing is all about is you coming to the place to where your greatest pleasure is in pleasing your Creator. And you no longer are looking for this world to bring you its pleasure. You've been released from all of that. Look at the note. In the wilderness, God wants to bring me to the place. Now, the last one we saw, He wanted to bring you to the place of separation. Separation from the world system. In the wilderness, something else. God wants to bring us to the place of Surrender so that it is no longer all about us. Look at the note again, the second one. I can't take possession of Canaan as long as self is on the throne of my life. And you know what? This is the one that we like to ask. This is the one that we, we don't like to let anybody know about. Because, you see, this is the one that can creep into our Christianity. This is the one that can cause us, like the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 25, this is the one that can cause us to clean up the outside of the cup and never really deal with what's going on on the inside. And you know what? You can fool every person on this planet and you can get the outside of your life looking all smooth and looking wonderful but if on the inside of you on the inside of your cup you still have unbridled desires that he talks about there you know what it doesn't matter if you fool the whole world you don't fool God and you never get into the land of Canaan just because you cleaned up the outside of your cup He's looking to have some kind of a transformation that actually takes place on the inside of you where there is the renewing of your mind so that you no longer think according to this world system and you no longer think in terms of me. Self is dethroned and the Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns in us. And listen, that's what this wilderness is all about. It's to bring us to the place of separation from the world system. It's to bring us to the place of surrender of our will and self to the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, when we're at that place, the journey is not a lifetime, y'all. This is really what discipleship is supposed to be. It's that little wilderness journey where we got delivered out of the bondage of our sin and we said, Yeah, God, I'm going all the way with You. I want Egypt out of me and I want to deal with this enemy within. so here am I. Take me in. Now, if that's what discipleship is supposed to be, then all of us that are disciplers ought to be in the land of Canaan reaching to all of the new believers who've just been delivered out of Egypt and say, here, let me help you to get into this land, into the fullness of what life in Christ is really supposed to be. And so I'm asking you this morning, what are the chances of you hitting the land of Canaan anytime within the next several days or anytime within the next several weeks? And I'm just asking you today, if in fact. Self has got to be dealt with before we get into that land and this world system has to be dealt with. Are you still willing to go? And, and, and I, I know that I've said this. I'm going to say it and then I'm going to shut up. When we're not willing to go all the way, you will be Disillusioned, discouraged, disappointed, and ultimately defeated, overcome in the wilderness, dying before you ever really find out what Christianity 101 is all about. Let's bow our heads. And I would like to, to give you, just a minute to talk to God. You know, there's there's some messages. You know, like last week yeah, we're doing the manna thing. And, you know, it was just a lot of fun, man. I mean, there was some some really cool stuff in there. And, you know, it's easy to to get a, a little buzz going that says, oh, yeah, God, man, I want to go for the full gusto. I want it all. I want the fullness of what life in Christ is all about. And yet then when you begin to find out what it's all about, man, it's tough. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when the children of Israel were all excited about bringing the ark back into its rightful place? By the time they could get to Jerusalem, David had come to the point to where he said, you know what? I'm not really sure I want this. You still want it? You still want it? Possess Canaan, the fullness of what life in Christ is, is really all about. And then talk to him right now about your attachment to the world system. Talk to him about your attachment to yourself. And while God's people are praying, if you're here this morning and you've never received the Lord. Jesus Christ, if I could just, oh my, if I could just talk to you for just a sec. You know, what you've heard today is that after coming to Christ, if you're not willing to go all the way, you'll never really know the satisfaction that God intended. And the thing that's going to keep some of you folks from receiving the Lord Jesus Christ is you think right now that that would really be the end of your satisfaction in life because according to second Thessalonians chapter 2 you see what keeps us from receiving Christ is the pleasures that we are having in our sin but please understand that the bible says that those pleasures only last for a season and today, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and God is speaking to your heart, listen, the Bible says in John chapter 6 and verse 44 that Jesus himself said it, no man can come to me unless the Father draw him. And if God is speaking to your heart today and you, you sense that in, inside of you, understand what's happening. God is drawing you to himself because he wants to have a relationship with you and the only way that can happen is for you to take ownership of your sin and your separation from Him as a holy God. And when you'll come just acknowledging your sin and acknowledging that Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that can remove your sin, listen, just that fast, when you call upon His name, He will remove your sin. He'll deliver you out of the bondage and the clutches of Satan, out of the snare that He's using to hold you, and you'll be a part of the family of God. And listen, If you're here today and don't know Christ, that is the message that God wants you to hear. And it can happen for you today. Today can be the day that you are released from the bondage of Egypt, the bondage of this world, the bondage of sin, the bondage of self. It can happen today. Our pastors are going to be up on the front of of the worship center up by these front doors. And today, if God is speaking to your heart, I challenge you, I beg you, for your sake and for God's glory's sake. To come and talk to one of these men. If you're a lady, one of these men will get a lady to talk with you. But if God is speaking to you, then listen, let him finish what he has started today. Come to Christ today while there's time. And Lord, I do pray for people in this room that don't know you. And I do pray that as your word has gone forth today, that your spirit has taken it to their hearts. And even now, Father, draw people... To yourself, and I pray that you'd save people in this service. And Lord, I, I pray that for all of us who do know you, that in light of the things that we have heard, that there will be today a disconnection from this world system, a disconnection from ourselves, so that we can get out of this wilderness. And come into the land that flows with milk and honey. The land, the fullness of all that you've designed our salvation to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.